Hello, wonderful people. Welcome back to Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam. And tonight we're doing chapters 15 and 16 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. How are you doing? Uh, we're really kicking off today. Alright, I just want you guys to be aware that going into this, we're into some serious territory. It's been a very pleasing week. I, uh, I'm in a new schedule. And it's working really, really well. Um, I'm getting more writing done than ever, and my time when I'm not writing is incredibly productive. So it has been a very good time. I do Saturdays. I just keep clear just to hang out, do whatever. And then I go on a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday block and a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday block. Now, I have something interesting here. Something very interesting indeed. It says, open on camera, please. And I fully intend to do that. I already know who it's from, Rachel, as you might expect. But Rachel, since you're here, would you mind telling me, would you prefer that I opened it before we get started here or in between chapters? I'm gonna let you make that call. You can let me know in the chat. I, in the meantime, am going to do my quick summary. Last week, chapters, 13 and 14. So, we started with... Ta-da! Uh, Cat Hermione. She was uh, just recovering, basically, from the cat potion that she accidentally built. Um, and Harry finds a very interesting diary. It doesn't seem to be anything written in it. They have some hypotheses about it. Um, including the fact that the riddle... Is from uh, apparently a person that was at school here at Hogwarts 50 years ago. That is their understanding as to when the Chamber of Secrets was last opened 50 years ago. So they think maybe if they can unlock some of the mysteries of the riddle uh, of the of excuse me of Riddle's diary, they might be able to get some more information about the Chamber of Secrets. And Rachel says, "Before, please, tell you, I shall." All right, um, Kilroy Lockhart thinks that the best way to cheer everyone up and to uh, build up their spirits in these troubling times is to hold a, a an extravagant Valentine's Day celebration. It turns out to be a bit of a mess. Uh, somebody sends Harry a singing, well, a, si a singing Valentine, and um, in the scuffle to escape this embarrassing interaction, Harry accidentally drops the diary, and Malfoy picks it up. They get in a bit of an altercation, a bit of a, a bit of a fight out in the hall, but Harry manages to get it back. He takes it back to his dorm that night and does some exploring. He finds out that if he writes in it, the diary will write back to him. He writes in the diary and some unseen hand appears to be writing back in response. Uh, he finds out it belonged to a, uh, an individual named uh, Tom Riddle. He was at school 50 years ago, and he shows Harry the night that he caught the person who opened the Chamber of Secrets. So he shows Harry this memory of him, uh, you know, wandering through the halls and, and talking to Dumbledore and the, uh, the headmaster of Hogwarts from 50 years ago, Professor Dippet. But at the very end, Harry finds... It was Hagrid who opened the Chamber of Secrets. That's what Tom says. And Luke's here. Hi, Luke. Going through our summary. 
Now, with Hermione back on top of things, uh, she talks to the boys about their various mysteries, and before they get a chance to make too much progress, um, you know, but the big mystery being, do they talk to Hagrid about what they've seen, or excuse me, what Harry saw? Uh, somebody robbed Harry. Somebody. And the diary was gone. Later that day, another attack. And Hermione is petrified. She thinks she understands something. Right before she ran off, she said, I think I've got it. And she runs off to the library. And that's the last thing that Ron and Harry hear from Hermione because she is petrified. Holding a mirror, oddly enough. Now, people had thought, because there was a pause in the attacks, that perhaps the monster had gone away. It seems that's not so. And this man here, Cornelius Fudge, shows up. And he takes Hagrid to Azkaban, the wizarding prison. And on the very night that uh, Harry and Ron decided to go talk to Hagrid about it, it is a very rough situation. Not only that, but Dumbledore has been removed as headmaster of Hogwarts. Before he goes, he says, kind of strangely out loud to a room that they think is empty, there will always be help at Hogwarts for those who ask for it. Excuse me, I think the proper quote is, help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. So, that's where we're at. We're about to begin, but first, I have some fan mail to open up. Here it is. So it says, open on camera. This is from Rachel. And I have absolutely no idea what's inside. It's got an odd, like, there's some sort of odd circle over on one side, and then there seems to be some sort of, maybe a second larger circle? I don't know. But I'm excited. All right. See, okay, so I didn't realize this tape was going to be so tough. All right, I hope it's not super fragile. Oh, it's a bunch of different things. Interesting. Okay. Okay, so the first... It's wrapped in bubble wrap, and that makes my, my camera freak out a little bit. It appears to be some sort of gem, almost. It's labeled Ravenclaw in the appropriate color. And then I've got Slytherin. Funky. It's a hexagonal something or other. It's green. Yellow circle labeled Hufflepuff. It's got my name on it. Okay. It says open letter all the way to find paper. Look at that. Look how cool that seal is. Look at that. It's so cool. Hold on, I want to take a picture of it before I open it up. I've dropped it. I'm going to open it up, gently break the seal. Gently. Okay. Cool. <laughs> a handcrafted envelope, which I I fully intend to keep. Might even mount that thing someplace. And a note inside. <clears throat> oh, it's got a letterhead and everything. It's from Hagrid. Look at... Uh, look at that. Look at it. Okay. It says... Should I read it in the Hagrid voice? I think I will. Dear Samuel, I, Rubius Hagrid, have decided to send you a present for Sharon... All the wonderful Harry Potter stories with the world. Although all of us out here in the Ministry of Magic do not normally like magic to be shared with the world. 
We are willing to let you continue with your magic sharing only if you promise to keep up the good work and not stop trying, no matter what. We've been monitoring your channel for some time now. We've come to the conclusion that we'll keep sending you gifts as a way to thank you for doing such an amazing job. To begin this gift giving, I'll now present you with these soaps. One to represent each house in Hogwarts. Thanks again! P.S. I do not recommend using said soaps since glitter is used. Ruby is Hagrid. Another P.S. Sorry for all the spelling mistakes. <laughs> I ain't such a great speller. Look at that. Okay, so I have a new collection of very interesting soaps. The Gryffindor. Nice pink and waxy. Um, got Hufflepuff. Slytherin. I like... I think I think the Ravenclaw one is actually my favorite. It's cut like a kind of a flat gemstone. I'm a big fan. Rachel, thank you very much. I appreciate your gifts and all of your contributions. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I love those. Uh yeah, you'll definitely be seeing those on Instagram later. For sure. <laughs> um all right. Rachel, I very much appreciate the gifts. Um, thank you for passing on this uh, correspondence from Hagrid. All right. Now, we've got our opportunity to get all cleaned up for some of the most exciting chapters in this book. That's so cool. Fan mail's awesome. If any of you have anything you'd like to talk... Haves. If any of you has anything you'd like to talk about, I would love to discuss it. Go ahead and put it in the chat. If I see a good opportunity to um, pause and talk about it, then we'll do it then. Otherwise, I would be more than happy to discuss it at the end of the chapter. But I can't talk about anything if you don't put it in chat. That's not true. I'm going to talk about a bunch of stuff even if you don't. But best way to get in on the conversation, throw it up in chat. All right, let us commence. Tonight, we begin with chapter 15. Aragog. Summer was creeping over the grounds around the castle. Sky and lake alike turned periwinkle blue and flowers large as cabbages burst into bloom in the greenhouses. But with no Hagrid visible from the castle windows, striding the grounds with Fang at his heels, the scene didn't look right to Harry. No better, in fact, than the inside of the castle where things were so horribly wrong. Harry and Ron had tried to visit Hermione, but visitors were now barred from the hospital wing. We are taking no more chances, Madame Pomfrey told them severely through a crack in the infirmatory door. No, I'm sorry, there's every chance the attacker might come back to finish these people off. With Dumbledore gone, fear had spread as never before, so that the sun warming the castle walls outside seemed to stop at the mullioned windows. There was barely a face to be seen in the school that didn't look worried and tense, and any laughter that rang through the corridors sounded shrill and unnatural, and was quickly stifled. Harry constantly repeated Dumbledore's final words to himself. I will only truly have left this school when none here are loyal to me. Help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. But what good were those words? Who exactly were they supposed to ask for help? when everyone was just as confused and scared as they were. Hagrid's hint about the spiders was far easier to understand. The trouble was, there didn't seem to be a single spider left in the castle to follow. Harry looked everywhere he went, 
helped, rather reluctantly, by Ron. They were hampered, of course, by the fact that they weren't allowed to wander off on their own, but had to move around the castle in a pack with the other Gryffindors. Most of their fellow students seemed glad that they were being shepherded from class to class by teachers, but Harry found it very irksome. One person, however, seemed to be thoroughly enjoying the atmosphere of terror and suspicion. Draco Malfoy was strutting around the school as though he had just been appointed head boy. Harry didn't realize what he was so pleased about until the potions lesson about two weeks after Dumbledore and Hagrid had left, when, sitting right behind Malfoy, Harry heard him gloating to Crabbe and Goyle. "'I always thought Father might be the one who got rid of Dumbledore,' he said, not troubling to keep his voice down. "'I told you he thinks Dumbledore's the worst headmaster the school's ever had. Maybe we'll get a decent headmaster now. Someone who won't want the Chamber of Secrets closed.' McGonagall won't last long. She's only filling in. Snape swept beside Harry, making no comment about Hermione's empty seat in Cauldron. Sir, said Malfoy loudly, sir, why don't you apply for the headmaster's job? Now, now, Malfoy, said Snape, though he couldn't suppress a thin-lipped smile. Professor Dumbledore has only been suspended by the governors. I dare say he'll be back with us soon enough. Yeah, right, said Malfoy, smirking. I expect you'd have Father's vote, sir, if you wanted to apply for the job. I'll tell Father you're the best teacher here, sir. Snape smirked as he swept off around the dungeon, fortunately not spotting Seamus Finnegan, who was pretending to vomit into his cauldron. I'm quite surprised the Mudbloods haven't all been packing their bags by now. Malfoy went on. I'll bet you five galleons the next one dies. Pity it wasn't Granger. The bell rang at that moment, which was lucky. At Malfoy's last words, Ron had leapt off his stool, and in the scramble to collect bags and books, his attempt to reach Malfoy went unnoticed. Let me at him, Ron growled as Harry and Dean hung on to his arms. I don't care, I don't need my wand. I'm going to kill him with my bare hands. Hurry up, we've got to take you all to Herbology, barked Snape over the heads of the class, and off they marched, with Harry, Ron, and Dean bringing up the rear, Ron still trying to get loose. It was only safe to let him go when Snape had seen them out of the castle, and they were making their way across the vegetable patch toward the greenhouses. The Herbology class was very subdued. There were now two missing from their number, Justin and Hermione. Professor Sprout set them all to work, pruning the Abyssian shrivel figs. Harry went to tip an armful of withered stalks into the compost heap and found himself face to face with Ernie McMillan. Ernie took a deep breath and said, very formally, I just want to say, Harry, that I'm very sorry I ever suspected you. I know you'd never attack a Monty Granger, and I apologize for all the stuff I said. We're all in the same boat now, and, well, he held out a pudgy hand, and Harry shook it. Ernie and his friend Hannah came over to work in the same shrivel fig as Harry and Ron. That Draco Malfoy character, said Ernie, breaking off dead twigs, he seems to be very pleased about all this, doesn't he? You know, I think he might be Slytherin's heir. Oh, that's clever of you, said Ron 
who didn't seem to have forgiven Ernie as readily as Harry. Do you think it's Malfoy, Harry? Ernie asked. No, said Harry, so firmly that Ernie and Hannah stared. A second later, Harry spotted something. Several large spiders were scuttling over the ground. On the other side of the glass, moving in an unnaturally straight line as though taking the shortest route to a prearranged meeting. Harry hit Ron over the hand with his pruning shears. Ouch! What are you... Harry pointed out the spiders, following their progress with his eyes screwed up against the sun. Oh, yeah, said Ron, trying and failing to look pleased. But we can't follow them now. Ernie and Hannah were listening curiously. Harry's eyes narrowed as he focused on the spiders. If they pursued their fixed course, there could be no doubt about where they would end up. It looks like they're heading for the Forbidden Forest. And Ron looked even unhappier about that. At the end of the lesson, Professor Sprout escorted the class to their defense against the dark arts lesson. Harry and Ron lagged behind the others so they could talk out of earshot. We'll have to use the invisibility cloak again, Harry told Ron. We can take Fang with us. He's used to going into the forest with Hagrid. He might be some help. Right, said Ron, who was twirling his wand nervously in his fingers. Um, aren't they... Aren't they supposed to be werewolves in the forest? He added as they took their usual places at the back of Lockhart's classroom. Preferring not to answer that question, Harry said, There are good things in there, too. The centaurs are all right, and the unicorns. Ron had never been into the Forbidden Forest before. Harry had entered it only once, and hoped never to do so again. Lockhart bounded into the classroom, and the class stared at him. Every other teacher in the place was looking grimmer than usual, but Lockhart appeared nothing short of buoyant. Oh, come now, he cried, beaming around him. Why all these long faces? People swapped exasperated looks, but nobody answered. Don't you people realize, said Lockhart, speaking slowly, as though they were all a bit dim, the danger has passed. The culprit has been taken away. Zazu, said Dean Thomas loudly. My dear young man, the Minister of Magic wouldn't have taken away Hagrid if he hadn't been a hundred percent sure he was guilty, said Lockhart, in a tone of someone explaining that one and one made two. Oh, yes, he would, said Ron, even more loudly than Dean. <laughs> I, uh, I flatter myself, I know, a touch more about Hagrid's arrest than you do, Mr. Weasley, said Lockhart in a self-satisfied tone. Ron started to say he didn't think so, somehow, but stopped in mid-sentence when Harry kicked him hard under the desk. We weren't there, remember? Harry muttered. But Lockhart's disgusting cheeriness, his hints he had always thought Hagrid was no good, his confidence that the whole business was now at an end, irritated Harry so much he yearned to throw gadding with ghouls right in Lockhart's stupid face. Instead, he contented himself with scrawling a note to Ron. Let's do it tonight. Ron read the message, swallowed hard, 
and looked sideways at the empty seat usually filled by Hermione. The sight seemed to stiffen his resolve, and he nodded. The Gryffindor common room was always very crowded these days because from six o'clock onward, the Gryffindors had nowhere else to go. They also had plenty to talk about, with the result that the common room often didn't empty until past midnight. Harry went to get the invisibility cloak out of his trunk right after dinner, and spent the evening sitting on it, waiting for the room to clear. Fred and George challenged Harry and Ron to a few games of exploding snap, and Ginny sat watching them, very subdued in Hermione's usual chair. Harry and Ron kept losing on purpose, trying to finish the games quickly, but even so, it was well past midnight when Fred, George, and Ginny finally went to bed. Harry and Ron waited for the distant sounds of two dormitory doors closing before seizing the cloak, throwing it over themselves, and climbing through the portrait hole. It was another difficult journey through the castle, dodging all the teachers. At last, they reached the entrance hall, slid back the lock on the oak front doors, squeezed through them, trying to stop any creaking, and stepped out out of the moonlit grounds. Of course, said Ron abruptly as they strode across the black grass. We might get into the forest and find out there's nothing to follow. Those spiders might not have been going there at all. I know it looked like they were moving in that sort of uh, general direction, but... Its voice trailed away, hopefully. They reached Hagrid's house, sad and sorry-looking with its blank windows. When Harry pushed the door open, Fang went mad with joy at the sight of them. Worried he might wake everyone at the castle with his deep, booming barks, they hastily fed him treacle toffee from a tin above the mantelpiece which glued his teeth together. Harry left the invisibility cloak on Hagrid's table. There would be no need for it in the pitch-dark forest. Come on, Fang. We're going for a walk, said Harry. Patting his leg, and Fang bounded happily out of the house behind them, dashed to the edge of the forest, and lifted his leg against a large sycamore tree. Harry took out his wand, murmured, Lumos, and a tiny light appeared at the end of it just enough for them to watch the path for signs of spiders. Good thinking, said Ron. I'd like mine too, but, you know, it would probably blow up or something. Harry tapped Ron on the shoulder, pointing at the grass. Two solitary spiders were hurrying away from the wand light into the shade of the trees. Okay, Ron sighed as though resigned to the worst. I'm ready. Let's go. So, with fangs scampering around them, sniffing tree roots and leaves, they entered the forest. By the glow of Harry's wand, they followed the steady trickle of spiders moving along the path. They walked behind them for about twenty minutes, not speaking, listening hard for noises other than breaking twigs and rustling leaves. Then, when the trees had become thicker than ever, so that the stars overhead were no longer visible, and Harry's wand shone alone in the uh, sea of dark, they saw their spider guides leading the path. Harry paused, trying to see where the spiders were going, but everything inside his little sphere of light was pitch black. He'd never been this deep into the forest before. He could vividly remember Hagrid advising him not to leave the forest path last time he'd been in here, but Hagrid was miles away now, probably sitting in a cell in Azkaban, and he had also said to follow the spiders. 
Something wet touched Harry's hand, and he jumped backward, crushing Ron's foot. But it was only Fang's nose. What do you reckon? Harry said to Ron, whose eyes he could just make out, reflecting the light from his wand. We've come this far, said Ron. So they followed the darting shadows of the spiders into the trees. They couldn't move very quickly now. There were tree roots and stumps in their way, barely visible in the near blackness. Harry could feel Fang's hot breath on his hand. More than once, they had to stop, so that Harry could crouch down and find the spiders in the wand light. They walked for what seemed like at least half an hour, their robes snagging on low-hung branches and brambles. After a while, they noticed that the ground seemed to be sloping downward, though the trees were as thick as ever. Then Fang suddenly let loose a great echoing bark, making both Harry and Ron jump out of their skins. What? said Ron loudly, looking into the pitch dark and gripping Harry's elbow. There's something moving over there, Harry breathed. Listen, it sounds like something big. They listened. Some distance to their right, the something big was snapping branches as it carved a path through the trees. Oh, no, said Ron. Oh, no. Oh, no. Shut up, said Harry frantically. It'll hear you. Hear me, said Ron in an unnaturally high voice. It's already heard, Fang. The darkness seemed to be pressing in on their eyeballs as they stood terrified, waiting. There was a strange rumbling noise, and then silence. "'What do you think it's doing?' said Harry. "'Probably getting ready to pounce,' said Ron. They waited, shivering, hardly daring to move. "'Do you think it's gone?' Harry whispered. "'I don't know.' Then to their right came a sudden blaze of light, so bright in the darkness that both of them flung up their hands to shield their eyes. Fang yelped and tried to run, but got lodged in a tangle of thorns and yelped even louder. Addy! Ron shouted, his voice breaking with relief. Addy! It's our car! What? Come on! Harry blundered after Ron toward the light, stumbling and tripping, and a moment later they had emerged into a clearing. Mr. Weasley's car was standing, empty, in the middle of a circle of thick trees under a roof of dense branches its headlights ablaze. As Ron walked, open-mouthed toward it, it moved slowly toward them, exactly like a large turquoise dog greeting its owner. It's been here all the time, said Ron delightedly, walking around the car. Look at it. The forests turned it wild. The sides of the car were scratched and smeared with mud. Apparently it had taken to trundling around the forest on its own. Fang didn't seem at all keen on it. He kept close to Harry, who could feel him quivering. His breathing slowing down again, Harry stuffed his wand back into his robes. We thought it was going to attack us, said Ron, leaning against the car and patting it. I wondered where it had gone. Harry squinted around the floodlit ground for signs of more spiders, but they had all scuffled away from the glare of the headlights. We've lost the trail, he said. Come on, let's go and find them. Ron didn't speak. 
He didn't move. His eyes were fixed on a point some ten feet above the forest floor, right behind Harry. His face was livid with terror. Harry didn't even have time to turn around. There was a loud clicking noise, and suddenly he felt something long and Harry seize him around the middle and lift him off the ground, so he was hanging face down. Struggling, terrified, he heard more clicking and saw Ron's legs leave the ground too, heard Fang whimpering and howling. Next moment he was being swept away into the dark trees. Head hanging, Harry saw what had got hold of him. It was marching on six immensely long hairy legs, the front two clutching him tightly beneath a pair of shining black pinchers. Behind him he could hear another of the creatures, no doubt carrying Ron. They were moving into the very heart of the forest. Harry could hear Fang fighting to free himself from a third monster, whining loudly, but Harry couldn't have yelled even if he wanted to. He seemed to have left his voice back with the car in the clearing. He never knew how long he was in the creature's clutches. He only knew that the darkness had lifted enough for him to see that the leaf-strewn ground was now swarming with spiders. Craning his neck sideways, he realized they had reached the ridge of a vast hollow, a hollow that had been cleared of trees so that the stars shone brightly under the worst scene he had ever laid eyes on. Spiders. Not tiny spiders like those surging over the leaves below. Spiders the size of cart horses. Eight-eyed, eight-legged, black, hairy, gigantic. The massive specimen that was carrying Harry made its way down the steep slope toward a misty, domed web in the very center of the hollow, while its fellows closed in around it clicking their pinchers excitedly at the sight of its load. Harry fell to the ground on all fours, and the spider released him. Ron and Fang thudded down next to him. Fang wasn't howling anymore, but cowering silently on the spot. Ron looked exactly like Harry felt. His mouth was stretched wide in a kind of silent scream, and his eyes were popping. Harry suddenly realized that the spider that had dropped him was saying something. It had been hard to tell because he clicked his pinchers with every word he spoke. Aragog! It called. Aragog! And from the middle of the misty domed web, a spider the size of a small elephant emerged very slowly. It was gray in the black of his body and legs, and each of the eyes on his ugly, pinchered head was milky white. He was blind. What is it? He said, clicking his pinchers rapidly. Men! Clicked the spider who had caught Harry. Is it Hagrid? Said Aragog, moving closer, his eight milky eyes wandering vaguely. Strangers! Clicked the spider who had brought Ron. Kill them! clicked Aragog fretfully. I was sleeping. We're friends of Hagrid's! Harry shouted. His heart seemed to have left his chest to pound in his throat. Click, click, click went the pinchers of the spiders all around the hollow. Aragog paused. Hagrid has never sent men into our hollow before, he said slowly. Hagrid's in trouble! said Harry, breathing very fast. That's why we've come. In trouble, said the aged spider, and Harry thought he heard concern beneath the 
clicking pinchers. But why? They think up at the school that Hagrid's been setting a, a something on the students. They've taken him to Azkaban. Aragog clicked his pinchers furiously, and all around the hollow the sound was echoed by the crowd of spiders. It was like applause, except applause didn't usually make Harry feel sick with fear. But that was years ago, said Aragog fretfully. Years and years ago. I remember it well. That's why they made him leave the school. They believed I was the monster that dwells in what they call the Chamber of Secrets. They thought Hagrid had opened the chamber and set me free. And you... you didn't come from the Chamber of Secrets? said Harry, who could feel cold sweat on his forehead. Said Aragog, clicking angrily. I was not born in the castle. I come from a distant land. A traveler gave me to Hagrid when I was an egg. Hagrid was only a boy, but he cared for me, hidden in a cupboard in the castle, feeding me on scraps from the table. Hagrid is my good friend and a good man. When I was discovered and blamed, the death of a girl. He protected me. I've lived here in the forest ever since, where Hagrid still visits me. He even found me a wife, Mosag, and you see how our family has grown, all through Hagrid's goodness. Harry summoned what remained of his courage. So you never, never attacked anyone? croaked the old spider. It would have been my instinct, but out of respect for Hagrid, I never harmed a human. The body of the girl who was killed was discovered in the bathroom. I never saw any part of the castle but the cupboard in which I grew up. Our kind, like the dark and the quiet. But then... Do you know what did kill that girl? said Harry. Is an ancient creature we spiders fear above all others. Well do I remember how I pleaded with Hagrid to let me go when I sensed the beast moving about the school. What is it? said Harry urgently. More clicking, more rustling. The spiders seemed to be closing in. We do not speak of it, said Aragog fiercely. We do not name it. I never even told Hagrid the name of that dread creature, though he asked me many times. Harry didn't want to press the subject, not with the spiders pressing closer on all sides. Aragog seemed to be tiring of talking. He was backing slowly into his domed web, but his fellow spiders continued to inch slowly toward Harry and Ron. All right, we'll just go then. Harry spun around. Feet away, towering above them, was a solid wall of spiders. Clicking, their many eyes gleaming in their ugly black heads. Even as he reached for his wand, Harry knew it was no good. There were too many of them. But as he tried to stand, ready to die fighting, a loud, long note sounded, and a blaze of light flamed through the hollow. 
Mr. Weasley's car was thundering down the slope, headlights glaring, its horns screeching, knocking spiders aside. Several were thrown onto their backs, their endless legs waving in the air. The car screeched to a halt in front of Harry and Ron, and the doors flew open. Get Fang! Harry yelled, diving into the front seat. Ron seized the boarhound around the middle and threw him, yelping, into the back of the car. The doors slammed shut. Ron didn't touch the accelerator, but the car didn't need him. The engine roared and they were off, hitting more spiders. They sped up the slope, out of the hollow, and they were soon crashing through the forest, branches whipping the windows as the car wound its way cleverly through the widest gaps, following a path it obviously knew. Harry looked sideways at Ron. His mouth was still open in the silent scream, but his eyes weren't popping anymore. Are you okay? Ron stared straight ahead, unable to speak. They smashed their way through the undergrowth, Fang howling loudly in the back seat, and Harry saw the side mirror snap off as they squeezed past a large oak. After ten noisy, rocky minutes, the trees thinned, and Harry could see again patches of the sky. The car stopped so suddenly that they were nearly thrown into the windshield. They had reached the edge of the forest. Fang flung himself at the window in his anxiety to get out, and when Harry opened the door, he shot off through the trees to Hagrid's house, tail between his legs. Harry got out, too, and after a minute or so, Ron seemed to regain his feeling in his limbs and followed, still stiff-necked and staring. Harry gave the car a grateful pat as it reversed back into the forest and disappeared from view. Harry went back into Hagrid's cabin to get the invisibility cloak. Fang was trembling under a blanket in his basket. When Harry got outside again, he found Ron being violently sick in the pumpkin patch. Full all the spiders, said Ron weakly, wiping his mouth on his sleeve. Oh, I'll never forgive Agrid. We're lucky to be alive. I bet he thought Aragog wouldn't hurt friends of his, said Harry. That's exactly Agrid's problem said Ron, thumping the wall of the cabin. He always thinks monsters aren't as bad as they're made out. Look where that's got him. A cell in Azkaban. He was shivering uncontrollably now. What was the point in sending us in there? What have we found out, I'd like to know. That Hagrid never opened the Chamber of Secrets, said Harry, throwing the cloak over to Ron and prodding him in the arm to make him walk. He was innocent. Ron gave a loud snort. Evidently, hatching Aragog in a cupboard wasn't his idea of being innocent. As the castle loomed nearer, Harry twitched the cloak to make sure their feet were hidden, then pushed the creaking doors ajar. They went carefully back across the entrance hall and up the marble staircase, holding their breath as they passed corridors where watchful sentries were walking. At last they reached the safety of the Gryffindor common room where the fire had burnt itself into a glowing ash. They took off the cloak and climbed the winding stair to their dormitory. Ron fell into his bed without bothering to get undressed. Harry, however, didn't feel very sleepy. He sat on the edge of his four-poster, thinking hard about everything Aragog had said. The creature that was lurking somewhere in the castle, he thought, Sounded like a sort of monster Voldemort. Even other monsters didn't want to name it. But he and Ron were no closer to finding out what it was or how it petrified its victims. 
Even Hagrid had never known what was inside the Chamber of Secrets. Harry swung his legs up onto bed and leaned back against his pillows, watching the moon glinting at him through the tower window. He couldn't see what else they could do. They'd hit dead ends everywhere. Riddle had caught the wrong person, the heir of Slytherin had got off, and no one could tell whether it was the same person or a different one who opened the chamber this time. There was nobody else to ask. Harry lay down, still thinking about what Aragog had said. He was becoming drowsy when what seemed like their very last hope occurred to him, and he suddenly sat bolt upright. Ron! he hissed through the dark. Ron! Ron woke with a yelp like fangs, stared wildly around and saw Harry. Ron! That girl who died! Aragog said she was found in a bathroom, said Harry, ignoring Neville's snuffling snores from the corner. What if she never left the bathroom? What if she's still there? Ron rubbed his eyes, frowning through the moonlight. And then he understood, too. You don't think. Not... Morning, Myrtle! And that is the end of chapter 15. Wonderful people, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for uh, hopefully sticking around during our uh, rougher patches. I hope you've enjoyed this. And when we get back, I'm going to go through my summary of what we just read, and we will talk about anything that I find here in the chat. Anything at all. So, if I get back and there's nothing in the chat, um, five points from Gryffindor. We are doing Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and if you're interested in learning more, I do most of my Instagram updates. Uh, do most of my updates on Instagram at Sidecar Stories. Uh, quick summary of what we saw last chapter. Basically, um, Ron and Harry went into the forest, and uh, following spiders, they ended up basically in a camp of enormous spiders. Um, Harry asked a bunch of questions about the monster that resides in Hogwarts. Turns out Hagrid wasn't the one who opened the chamber, and the giant spider that they meet, the most enormous spider, Aragog, um, was the thing that Hagrid let out of the castle, but it had nothing to do with the Chamber of Secrets. Chapter 16, The Chamber of Secrets All those times that we were up in that bathroom and she was just three toilets away, said Ron bitterly at breakfast next day. We could have asked her. Now. It had been hard enough trying to look for spiders. Escaping their teachers long enough to sneak into a girl's bathroom, the girl's bathroom, moreover, right next to the scene of the first attack, was going to be almost impossible. But something happened in their first lesson, Transfiguration, that drove the Chamber of Secrets out of their minds for the first time in weeks. Ten minutes into the class, Professor McGonagall told them that their exams would start on the 1st of June, one week from today. Exams? howled Seamus Finnegan. We're still getting exams? 
There was a loud bang behind Harry as Neville Longbottom's wand slipped, vanishing one of the legs on his table. Professor McGonagall restored it with a wave of her own wand and turned, frowning, to Seamus. The whole point of keeping school open at this time is for you to receive your education, she said sternly. The exams will therefore take place as usual, and I trust you are all studying hard. Studying hard? It had never occurred to Harry that there would be exams with the castle in this state. There was a great deal of mutinous muttering around the room, which made Professor McGonagall scowl even more darkly. Professor Dumbledore's instructions were to keep the school running as normally as possible, she said. And that, I hardly need to point out, means finding out how much you learned this year. Harry looked down at the pair of white rabbits he was supposed to be turning into slippers. What had he learned so far this year? He couldn't seem to think of anything that would be useful on an exam. Ron looked as though he'd just been told he had to go and live in the Forbidden Forest. Can you imagine taking exams like this? He asked Harry, holding up his wand, which had just started whistling loudly. Three days before their first exam, Professor McGonagall made another announcement at breakfast. I have good news, she said, and the Great Hall, instead of falling silent, erupted. Dumbledore's coming back, several people yelled joyfully. You've caught the air of Slytherin, squealed the girl at the Ravenclaw table. Quidditch matches are back on, roared Wood excitedly. When the hubbub had subsided, Professor McGonagall said, Professor Sprout has informed me that the Mandrakes are ready for cutting at last. Tonight we will be able to revive those people who have been petrified. I need hardly remind you that one of them might be able to tell us who or what attacked them. I am hopeful that this dreadful year will end without catching the culprit. It was an explosion of cheering. Harry looked over at the Slytherin table and wasn't at all surprised to see that Draco Malfoy hadn't joined in. Ron, however, was looking happier than he'd looked in days. It won't matter that we never asked Myrtle, then, he said to Harry. Hermione'll probably have all the answers when they wake her up. Mind you, she'll go crazy when she finds out we've still got exams in three days' time. She hasn't studied. Might be kinder to leave her where she is till they're over. Just then, Ginny Weasley came over and sat down next to Ron. She looked tense and nervous, and Harry noticed that her hands were twisting in her lap. What's up? said Ron, helping himself to more porridge. Ginny didn't say anything, but glanced up and down the Gryffindor table with a scared look on her face that reminded Harry of someone, but he couldn't think who. Spit it out, said Ron, watching her. Harry suddenly realized who Ginny looked like. She was rocking backward and forward slightly in her chair, exactly like Dobby did when he was teetering on the edge of revealing forbidden information. I've caught something to tell you, Ginny mumbled, carefully not looking at Harry. What is it? said Harry. Ginny looked as though she couldn't find the right words. What? said Ron. Ginny opened her mouth, but no sound came out. Harry leaned forward and spoke quietly, so only Ginny and Ron could hear him. Is it something about the Chamber of Secrets? Have you seen something? Someone acting oddly? Ginny drew a deep breath, and at that precise moment, Percy Weasley appeared, looking tired and wan. 
If you've finished eating, I'll take that seat, Ginny. I'm starving. I've only just come off patrol duty. Ginny jumped up as though her chair had been electrified, gave Percy a fleeting, frightened look, and scampered away. Percy sat down and grabbed a mug from the center of the table. Percy! said Ron, angrily. She was just about to tell us something important. Halfway through a gulp of tea, Percy choked. What sort of thing? he said, coughing. I just asked her if she'd seen anything odd. She started to say that... Oh, that, that's, uh, that's got nothing to do with the Chamber of Secrets, said Percy at once. How do you know? said Ron, his eyebrows raised. Well, if you, uh, if you must know, Ginny walked in on me the other day when I was, uh, well, never mind. The point is, she spotted me doing something, and uh, I, um, asked her not to mention it to anybody. I must say, I did think she'd keep her word. It's nothing, really. Just a matter. Harry had never seen Percy looking so uncomfortable. What were you doing, Percy? said Ron, grinning. Go on, tell us. We won't laugh. Percy didn't smile back. Pass me those rolls, Harry. I'm starving. Harry knew the whole mystery might be solved tomorrow without their help, but he wasn't about to pass up a chance to speak to Myrtle if it turned up. And to his delight, it did, mid-morning, when they were being led to History of Magic by Gilderoy Lockhart. Lockhart, who had so often assured them that the danger had all passed, only to be proven wrong right away, was now wholeheartedly convinced that it had hardly been worth the trouble to see them safely down the corridors. His hair wasn't as sleek as usual. It seemed he had been up most of the night, patrolling the fourth floor. Mark my words, he said, ushering them around a corner. The first words out of those poor petrified people's mouths will be, It was Hagrid. Frankly, I'm astounded Professor McGonagall thinks all these security measures are necessary. I agree, sir, said Harry, making Ron drop his books in surprise. Thank you, Harry said Lockhart graciously while they waited for the long line of Hufflepuffs to pass. I mean, we teachers have quite enough to be getting on with without walking students to classes and standing guard all night. That's right, said Ron, catching on. Why don't you leave us here, sir? We've only got one more corridor to go. You know, Weasley, I, I think I will, said Lockhart. I really should go and prepare for my next class. And he hurried off. Prepare his next class, Ron sneered after him. Going to curl his hair, more like. They let the rest of the Gryffindors draw ahead of them, then darted off down a side passage and hurried off toward Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. But just as they were congratulating each other on their brilliant scheme, Potter! Weasley! What are you doing? It was Professor McGonagall, and her mouth was the thinnest of thin lines. We were... we were... Ron stammered. We were going to, um... go and see, uh... Hermione, said Harry. Ron and Professor McGonagall both looked at him. We haven't seen her for ages, Professor, Harry went on hurriedly, treading on Ron's foot. And we thought we'd sneak into the hospital wing, you know? Tell her that the mandrakes are nearly ready, and not to worry... Professor McGonagall was still staring at him and for a moment Harry thought she was going to explode. 
but when she spoke it was in a strangely creaky voice. Of course, she said, and Harry, amazed, saw a tear glistening in her beady eye. Of course, I, I realize this has all been the hardest on the friends of those who have been... I quite understand. Yes, Potter, of course you may visit Miss Granger. I will inform Professor Pins where you've gone. Tell Madame Pomfrey I have given... That, said Ron fervently, was the best story you've ever come up with. They had no choice now but to go to the hospital wing and tell Madame Pomfrey that they had Professor McGonagall's permission to visit Hermione. Madame Pomfrey let them in, but reluctantly. There is just no point in talking to a petrified person, she said. And they had to admit she had a point when they'd taken her seats next to Hermione. It was plain that Hermione didn't have the faintest inkling that she had visitors, that they might as well tell her bedside cabinet not to worry for all the good it would do. Wonder if she did see the attacker, though, said Ron, looking sadly at Hermione's rigid face. Because if he sneaked up on them all, no one will ever know. But Harry wasn't looking at Hermione's face. He was more interested in her right hand. It lay clenched on top of her blankets, and bending closer, he saw that a piece of paper was scrunched inside her fist. Making sure that Madame Pomfrey was nowhere near, he pointed this out to Ron. Well, try and get it out, Ron whispered, shifting his chair so he blocked Harry from Madame Pomfrey's view. It was no easy task. Hermione's hand was clamped so tightly around the paper that Harry was sure he was going to tear it. While Ron kept watch, he tugged and twisted. After several tense minutes, the paper came free. It was a page torn from a very old book. Harry smoothed it out eagerly, and Ron leant close to read it, too. Of the many fearsome beasts and monsters that roam our land, there is none more curious or more deadly than the basilisk, known also as the King of Serpents. This snake, which may reach gigantic size and live many hundreds of years, is born from a chicken's egg. Hatched beneath a toad, its methods of killing are most wondrous. For aside from its deadly and venomous fangs, the basilisk has a murderous stare, and all who are fixed with the beam of its eye shall suffer instant death. Spiders flee before the basilisk, for it is their mortal enemy, and the basilisk flees only from the crowing of the rooster, which is fatal to it. And beneath this, a single word had been written, in a hand Harry recognized as Hermione's. Pipes. It was as though someone had just flicked a light on in his brain. Ron, he breathed. This is it. This is the answer. The monster in the chamber is a basilisk. A giant serpent. That's why I've been hearing that voice all over the place. Nobody else heard it. It's because I understand parcel tongue. Harry looked up at the beds around him. The basilisk kills people by looking at them. But no one's died. Because no one looked it straight in the eye. Colin saw it through his camera. The basilisk burned up all the film inside it, but Colin just got petrified. Justin. Justin must have seen the basilisk through nearly headless Nick. Nick got the full blast of it, but he couldn't die again. And Hermione and that Ravenclaw prefect were found with a mirror next to them. Hermione must have realized the monster was a basilisk. I bet you anything she warned the first person she met. 
to look around corners with a mirror first. And that girl pulled out her mirror and... Ron's jaw had dropped. And Mrs. Norris? He whispered eagerly. Harry thought hard, picturing the scene on the night of Halloween. The water, he said slowly. The flood from Moaning Murder's bathroom. I'll bet you Mrs. Norris only saw the reflection. He scanned the page in his hand eagerly. The more he looked at it, the more it made sense. The basilisk flees only from the crowing of the rooster, which is fatal to it, he read aloud. Haggard's roosters were killed. The arrow Slytherin didn't want anyone near the castle. Oh, uh, the arrow Slytherin didn't want one anywhere near the castle once the Chamber of Secrets was opened. Spiders flee before the basilisk. It all fits. But how's the basilisk been getting around the place? said Ron. Giant snake. Someone would have seen... Harry, however, pointed at the word Hermione had scribbled at the foot of the page. Pipes, he said. Pipes. Ron, it's been using the plumbing. I've been hearing that voice inside the walls. Ron suddenly grabbed Harry's arm. The entrance to the Chamber of Secrets, he said hoarsely. What if it's a bathroom? What if it's in... Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, said Harry. They sat there, excitement coursing through them, hardly able to believe it. This means, said Harry, I can't be the only parcel mouth in the school. The heir of Slytherin's one too. That's how he's been controlling the basilisk. What are we going to do? said Ron, whose eyes were flashing. Should we go straight to McGonagall? Let's go to the staff room, said Harry, jumping up. She'll be there in ten minutes. It's nearly break. They ran downstairs. Not wanting to be discovered hanging around another corridor, they went straight into the deserted staff room. It was a large paneled room full of dark wooden chairs. Harry and Ron paced around it, too excited to sit down. But the bell to signal break never came. Instead, echoing through the corridors, came Professor McGonagall's voice, magically magnified. All students are to return to the house dormitories at once. All teachers return to the staff room. Immediately, please. Harry wheeled around to stare at Ron. Not another attack. Not now. What'll we do? said Ron, aghast. Go back to the dormitory? No, said Harry, glancing around. There was an ugly sort of wardrobe to his left, full of the teacher's cloaks. In here. Let's hear what it's all about, then we can tell them what we found out. They hid themselves inside it, listening to the rumbling of hundreds of people moving overhead and the staff room door banging open. From between the musty folds of the cloaks, they watched the teachers filtering into the room. Some of them were looking puzzled, others downright scared. Then Professor McGonagall arrived. It has happened, she told the silent staff room. A student has been taken by the monster, right into the chamber itself. Professor Flitwick let out a squeal. Professor Sprout clapped her hands over her mouth. Snape gripped the back of a chair very hard and said, How can you be sure? The heir of Slytherin, said Professor McGonagall, who was very white. Lift another message, right underneath the first one. 
Her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. Professor Flitwick burst into tears. Who is it? said Madame Hooch, who had sunk weak-kneed into a chair. Which student? Ginny Weasley, said Professor McGonagall. Harry felt Ron slide silently down onto the wardrobe floor beside him. We shall have to send all the students home tomorrow, said Professor McGonagall. This is the end of Hogwarts. Dumbledore always said... The staff room door banged open again. For one wild moment, Harry was sure it would be Dumbledore. But it was Lockhart, and he was beaming. So sorry, dozed off. What have I missed? He didn't seem to notice that the other teachers were looking at him with something remarkably like hatred. Snape stepped forward. Just the man, he said. The very man. A girl has been snatched by the monster, Lockhart. Taken into the Chamber of Secrets itself. Your moment has come at last. Lockhart blanched. That's right, Gilderoy, chipped in Professor Sprout. Weren't you just saying last night you've known all along where the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets is? I, uh, well, I, uh, sputtered Lockhart. Yes, didn't you tell me you were sure you knew what was inside it? Piped up Professor Flitwick. Did I? Uh, I don't recall. I certainly remember you saying you were so sorry you hadn't been given a crack at the monster before Hagrid was arrested, said Snape. Didn't you say that the whole affair had been bungled, that you should have been given free reign from the first? Lockhart stared around at his stony-faced colleagues. I, I really never... You, uh, may have misunderstood. We'll leave it to you, then, Gilderoy, said Professor McGonagall. Tonight will be an excellent time to do it. We'll make sure everyone's out of your way. You'll be able to tackle the monster all by yourself. A free reign at last. Lockhart gazed desperately around him, but nobody came to the rescue. He didn't look remotely handsome any more. His lip was trembling, and in the absence of his usually toothy grin, he looked weak-chinned and feeble. Very well, he said. I'll, I'll, uh, be in my office, getting, uh, getting ready. And he left the room. Right, said Professor McGonagall, whose nostrils were flared. Let's scoot him out from under our feet. The heads of houses should go and inform their students what has happened. Tell them the Hogwarts Express will take them home first thing tomorrow. Will the rest of you please make sure no students have been left outside of their dormitories? The teachers rose and left, one by one. It was probably the worst day in Harry's entire life. He, Ron, Fred, and George sat in a corner of the Gryffindor common room, unable to say anything to each other. Percy wasn't there. He had gone to send an owl to Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, then shut himself up in the dormitory. No afternoon ever lasted as long as that one. Nor had Gryffindor Tower ever been so crowded, yet so quiet. Near sunset, Fred and George went to bed, unable to sit there any longer. 
She knew something, Harry, said Ron, speaking for the first time since they had entered the wardrobe in the staff room. That's why she was taken. It wasn't some stupid thing about Percy, after all. She must have found out something about the Chamber of Secrets. That must be why she was... Ron rubbed his eyes frantically. I mean... She was a pure blood. There can't be any other reason. Harry could see the sun sinking, blood red, below the skyline. This was the worst he had ever felt. If only there was something they could do. Anything. Harry, said Ron. Do you think there's any chance at all that she's not, you know... Harry didn't know what to say. He couldn't see how Ginny could still be alive. Do you know what? said Ron. I think we should go and see Lockhart. Tell him what we know. He's going to try and get into the chamber. We can tell him where we think it is. Tell him that there's a basilisk in there. Because Harry couldn't think of anything else to do, and because he wanted to do something, he agreed. The Gryffindors around them were so miserable and felt so sorry for the Weasleys that nobody tried to stop them as they got up, crossed the room, and left through the portrait hole. Darkness was falling as they walked down into Lockhart's office. There seemed to be a lot of activity going on inside it. They could hear scraping, thumps, and hurried footsteps. Harry knocked, and there was a sudden silence from inside. Then the door opened the tiniest crack, and they saw one of Lockhart's eyes peering through it. Oh, Mr. Weasley, Mr. Potter, he said, opening the door a bit wider. I'm rather busy at the moment. Would, uh, would you be quick? Professor, we've got some information for you, said Harry. We think it'll help you. Ah, well, it's not terribly, um... The side of Lockhart's face that they could see looked very uncomfortable. I mean, well, uh, all right... He opened the door, and they entered. His office had been almost completely stripped. Two large trunks stood open on the floor. Robes, jade green, lilac, midnight blue, had been folded hastily into one of them. Books were jumbled untidily in the corner. The photographs that had covered the walls were now crammed into boxes on the desk. "'Are you going somewhere?' said Harry. "'Um, well... "'Yes,' said Lockhart, ripping a life-size poster of himself from the back of the door as he spoke and started to roll it up. "'Urgent call. It's uh, unavoidable. Gotta go.' "'What's about my sister?' said Ron jerkily. "'Well, as to that, uh, most unfortunate,' said Lockhart, avoiding their eyes as he wrenched open a drawer and started emptying the contents into a bag. "'No one regrets it more than I.' You're the defense against the dark arts teacher, said Harry. You can't go now, not with all the dark stuff going on here. Well, I must say, when, uh, when I took the job... Lockhart muttered, now piling socks on top of his robes. Nothing in the job description. I didn't expect... You mean you're running away, said Harry disbelievingly. After all that stuff you did in your books. Books can be... Misleading, said Lockhart delicately. You wrote them, Harry shouted. My dear boy, said Lockhart, straightening up and frowning at Harry. Do use your common sense. 
My books wouldn't have sold half as well if people didn't think I'd done all those things. Nobody wants to read about some ugly old Armenian warlock, even if he did save a village from werewolves. He'd look dreadful on the front cover. No dress sense at all. And the witch who'd banished the abandoned banshee had a hairy chin. I mean, come on. So you've just been taking credit for what a load of other people have done, said Harry incredulously. Harry, Harry, said Lockhart, shaking his head impatiently. It's not nearly as simple as that. There was work involved. I had to track these people down, ask them how exactly they managed to do what they did. Then I had to put a memory charm on them so they wouldn't remember doing it. If there's one thing I pride myself on, it's my memory charms. No, it has been a lot of work, Harry. It's not all book signings and publicity photos, you know. If you want fame, you've got to be prepared for a long, hard slog. He banged the lids of his trunk shut and locked them. Let's see, he said. I think that's everything. Yes, only one thing left. He pulled out his wand and turned to them. Awfully sorry, boys, but I'll have to put a memory charm on you now. Can't have you blabbing my secrets all over the place. I'll never sell another book. Harry reached his wand just in time. Lockhart had barely raised his when Harry bellowed, Expelliarmus! Lockhart was blasted backward, falling over his trunk. His wand flew high into the air. Ron caught it and flung it out of the open window. Shouldn't have let Professor Snape teach us that one, said Harry furiously, kicking Lockhart's trunk aside. Lockhart was looking up at him, feeble once more. Harry was still pointing his wand at him. What, what do you want me to do? said Lockhart weakly. I don't know where the Chamber of Secrets is. There's nothing I can do. You're in luck, said Harry, forcing Lockhart to his feet at wand point. We think we know where it is, and what's inside it. Let's go. They marched Lockhart out of his office and down the nearest stairs, along the dark corridor with the message shown on the wall, to the door of Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. They sent Lockhart in first. Harry was pleased to see he was shaking. Moaning Myrtle was sitting on the tank of the end toilet. Oh, it's you, she said when she saw Harry. What do you want this time? To ask you how you died, said Harry. Myrtle's whole aspect changed at once. She looked as though she had never been asked such a flattering question. Oh, it was dreadful, she said with relish. It happened right here. I died in this very stall. I remember it so well. I'd hidden because Olive Hornby was teasing me about my glasses. The door was locked and I was crying, and I heard somebody come in. They said something funny. A different language, I think, it must have been. Anyway, what really got me was that it was a boy speaking. So I unlocked the door and told him to go use his own toilet. And then... Myrtle swelled importantly, her face shining. I died. How? said Harry. No idea, said Myrtle in hushed tones. I just remember seeing a pair of big yellow eyes. My whole body sort of seized up and then I was... I was floating away. She looked dreamily at Harry. And then I came back again. I was determined to haunt Olive Hornby, you see. 
Oh, she was sorry she'd ever laughed at my glasses. Where exactly did you see the eyes? said Harry. Somewhere there. It looked like an ordinary sink. They examined every inch of it, inside and out, including the pipes below. And then Harry saw it. Scratched on the side of one of the copper taps was a tiny snake. That tap has never worked, said Myrtle brightly as he tried to turn it. Harry, Harry, said Ron. Say something. Something in parcel tongue. But, Harry thought hard, the only times he'd ever managed to speak parcel tongue were when he'd been faced with a real snake. He stared hard at the tiny engraving, trying to imagine it was real. Open up, he said. He looked at Ron, who shook his head. English, he said. Harry looked back at the snake, willing himself to believe it was alive. If he moved his head, the candlelight made it look as though it were moving. Open up, he said. Except that the words weren't what he heard. A strange hissing had escaped him, and at once the tap glowed with a brilliant white light and began to spin. Next second, the sink began to move. The sink, in fact, sank right out of sight, leaving a large pipe exposed, a pipe wide enough for a man to slide into. Harry heard Ron gasp and looked up again. He has made up it. He had made up his mind what they were going to do. I'm going down there, he said. He couldn't not go. Not now that they had found the entrance to the chamber. Not if there was even the faintest. They seem to need me, said Lockhart, with a shadow of his old smile. I'll just. He put his hand on the doorknob, but Ron and Harry both pointed their wands at him. You can go first, Ron snarled. White-faced and wandless, Lockhart approached the opening. Boys, he said, his voice feeble. Boys, what good will it do? Harry jabbed him in the back with his wand. Lockhart slid his legs into the pipe. I really don't think, he started to say, but Ron gave him a push and he slid out of sight. Harry followed quickly. He lowered himself slowly into the pipe, and then let go. It was like rushing down an endless, slimy, dark slide. He could see more pipes branching off in all directions, but none as large as theirs, which twisted and turned, sloping steeply downward, and he knew he was falling deeper below the school than even the dungeons. Behind him, he could hear Ron, thudding slightly at the curves. And then, just as he had begun to worry about what would happen when he hit the ground, the pipe leveled out, and he shot out of the end with a wet thud, landing on the damp floor of a dark stone tunnel large enough to stand in. Lockhart was getting to his feet a little ways away, covered in slime and white as a ghost. Harry stood aside as Ron came whizzing out of the pipe, too. We must be miles under the school, said Harry, his voice echoing in the black tunnel. Under the lake, probably, said Ron, squinting around at the dark, slimy walls. All three of them turned to stare into the darkness ahead. Lumos, Harry muttered to his wand, and it lit again. Come on, 
he said to Ron and Lockhart, and off they went, their footsteps slapping loudly on the wet floor. The tunnel was so dark they could only see a little distance ahead. Their shadows on the wet walls looked monstrous in the wand light. Remember, Harry said quietly as they walked cautiously forward, any sign of movement, close your eyes right away. But the tunnel was quiet as the grave, and the first unexpected sound they heard was a loud crunch as Ron stepped on what turned out to be a rat's skull. Harry lowered his wand to look at the floor and saw that it was littered with small animal bones. Trying very hard not to imagine what Ginny might have looked like if they found her, Harry led the way forward, around a dark bend in the tunnel. Eddie, there's something up there, said Ron hoarsely, grabbing Harry's shoulder. They froze, watching. Harry could just see the outline of something huge and curved lying right across the tunnel. It wasn't moving. Maybe it's asleep, he breathed. Glancing back at the other two, Lockhart's hands were pressed over his eyes. Harry turned back to look at the thing, his heart beating so fast it hurt. Very slowly, his eyes as narrow as he could make them and still see, Harry edged forward, his wand held high. The light slid over a gigantic snake skin of a vivid poisonous green, lying curled and empty across the tunnel floor. The creature that had shed it must be twenty feet long at least. Blimey, said Ron weakly. There was a sudden movement behind them. Gilderoy Lockhart's knees had given way. Get up, said Ron sharply, pointing his wand at Lockhart. Lockhart got to his feet. Then he dived at Ron, knocking him to the ground. Harry jumped forward, but too late. Lockhart was straightening up, panting, with Ron's wand in his hand and a gleaming smile back on his face. The adventure ends here, boys he said. I shall take a bit of this skin back up at the school, tell them I was too late to save the girl, and that you two tragically lost your minds at the sight of her mangled body. Say goodbye to your memories. He raised Ron's spellotape wand high over his head and yelled, Obliviate! <laughs> the wand exploded with the force of a small bomb. Harry flung his arms over his head and ran, slipping over the coils of the snakeskin out of the way of great chunks of tunnel ceiling that were thundering to the floor. Next moment he was standing alone, gazing at a solid wall of broken rock. Ron! he shouted. Are you okay? Ron! I'm here! came Ron's muffled voice from behind the rockfall. I'm okay! This git's not, though. He got blasted by the wand. There was a dull thud and a loud, Ow! It sounded as though Ron had just kicked Lockhart in the shins. What now? Ron's voice said, sounding desperate. We can't get through. It'll take ages. Harry looked up at the tunnel ceiling. Huge cracks had appeared in it. He had never tried to break apart anything as large as these rocks by magic. And now didn't seem a good moment to try. What if the whole tunnel caved in? There was another thud and another ow from behind the rocks. They were wasting time. Ginny had already been in the chamber for hours. Harry knew there was only one thing to do. 
Wait here, he called to Ron. Wait with Lockhart. I'll go on. If I'm not back in an hour... There was a very pregnant pause. I'll try and shift some of this rock, said Ron, who seemed to be trying to keep his voice steady, so that you can... you can get back through. And, Harry... I'll see you in a bit, said Harry, trying to inject some confidence into his shaking voice. And he set off alone past the giant snakeskin. Soon the distant noise of Ron straining to shift the rocks was gone. The tunnel turned and turned again. Every nerve in Harry's body was tingling unpleasantly. He wanted the tunnel to end, yet dreaded what he'd find when it did. And then at last, as he crept around in another bend, he saw a solid wall ahead, in which two entwined serpents were carved, their eyes set with great glinting emeralds. Harry approached his throat very dry. There was no need to pretend these stone snakes were real. Their eyes looked strangely alive. He could guess what he had to do. He cleared his throat, and the emerald eyes seemed to flicker. Open, said Harry, in a low, faint hiss. The serpents parted as the wall cracked open. The halves slid smoothly out of sight, and Harry shaking from head to foot, walked inside. Wonderful people, that is the end of chapter 16. This has been a challenging stream. I appreciate all of you. Any of you who stuck with it through to the end, um, we ran pretty long tonight. Um, I will try to get the discussion thread up quickly so that we can move it there. Um, if anyone is interested in learning more about Sidecar Stories or getting updates, uh, I do most of my updates on Instagram at Sidecar Stories. All one word. I really appreciate you guys being here. I love the fan mail. I love my new treasures. Rachel's saying that uh, she has to give a little bit of an explanation for the soaps. As you can see, we are right there at the, um, we're at the pinnacle, we're at the crux of the excitement of this book. We're there, we're at the Chamber of Secrets right outside the door. And next week, we're going to get to see what it looks like inside. Um, it's not all adventure and excitement, though. Ginny Weasley is in some significant danger. Okay, so Rachel says that the Gryffindor one has the special design because it's like a shield. Yeah, okay. I'm clicking. Makes sense. I don't know if you guys can see the... There's some texturing on there. I also didn't know, I also didn't know you were into uh, soap making. I knew you were into making uh, goop stuff. Didn't know about the soap. I love this letter too. I'm really happy I was able to uh, mostly preserve the um, the wax seal. So I'm gonna be able to, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I'm, I, I wanna like frame it or something. Very artful wax seal. All right, what about these other ones? What am I seeing in these designs? And also, which one was your favorite to make? Ah, here we go. Okay, Slytherin is just uh, plain old, odd and mysterious. 
You know what? I like that. Oh, I heard Hagrid spent some time carving and just kind of made a design. I see. Uh, Hufflepuff is like a circle, and that's because hugs. And I thought that when you hug someone, your arms are in a circle. Also, it's nice, soft yellow. Yes, it is. This one is its definitely like a soothing, calming sort of thing. And Ravenclaw is like a gem because, like how gems are so much money, knowledge can be priceless. I really like this gem design. It's super cool. I think this one is my favorite shape. And, like, it's funny because the, the, like, with light behind it, it's just the right color and sort of texture and everything um, to look like a gemstone. That's really cool. <laughs> Lovely. I love my gifts. Yeah, I know the, the post discussion is a little short tonight. Unfortunately, it's been, uh, it's been a, a bit of a struggle during the stream, so I had to cut it off a little short. All right, it is time to bid you adieu. Thank you very much for watching. As usual, I love doing this. Thank you for all the support. And uh, I'm looking forward to next week. You get to make a lot more gemstones. All right. Have a good night. I love you. Adios.